are in a series called Soul Sessions. We're talking about worship, and uh, we are, um, we're halfway through the series, and uh, we talked last week about the purpose of the Word of God in a corporate worship service and talked about why we do that, why we spend so much time in a corporate worship service, um, particularly preaching the Word of God. And, and three things we told you about uh, why the Word has such a prominent place in a corporate worship service is because it's God's self-revelation to us. And of course, that's kind of where it all begins because if our purpose here is to know God and, and to um, understand him and his love and to enjoy him and to cherish him and to treasure him, then it starts with his self-revelation. But we said it's also something that changes the destinies of people. Um, God uses it to draw us into a saving relationship with him. And uh, it also changes our lives. And that's, that's really the essence of what worship is all about. It's about knowing God and then reflecting that back to him and to the people around us. And so today we, uh, we're going to talk, last week we talked about the place of preaching in corporate worship and talked a little bit about maybe what my job is and the job of other people who teach. But this week we're going to turn it around and talk about you. We're going to talk about listening to the word of God and how our attitude and our heart can make all the difference in, in terms of what happens in here. And to get us started, I'm going to show you a video. This is, uh, this is a guy named uh, Ronnie, and he's just going to share with you some of his thoughts about worship and preaching and all of that. Ronnie. Well, the pastor asked me to do it, so I said, sure. Every once in a lifetime, we meet someone who literally changes us forever. Ronnie is not one of those people. I may not be the most eloquent orator on this side of the lights and the camera, but I am not going to say no to my new church. I have been a member of 10 churches in the last eight and one half years. See, see, here's what I do. I join these churches with hope. Hope that they'll provide me with what I need. Ronnie's thoughts on worship. Music. Music draws me in. There is no question about it. Look, I may not play an instrument, but I know worship. And music equals worship, okay? God created me to spend at least a 15 to 17 minute block of music each week at church in worship. And that's in the Bible, folks. I can show you anywhere in the Psalms. Ronnie's thoughts on preaching. Okay, then the worship finishes and then the preacher stands up and preaches. Now, God and I both require that the preacher makes me laugh and makes me cry. The sermon must have a story every four to five minutes or else I just get lost in all that history of the Jews stuff. The preacher, I like to say, feeds me. Ronnie's thoughts on spiritual growth. When you think about it, I guess that's why I love modern Christianity so much. It's just so easy to be a part of it, but to always reserve the right to just leave the church when they don't meet my expectations. I mean, okay, all right, okay, maybe God's asking me to take responsibility for my own spiritual growth. No, he isn't. That's silly. I mean, that's what the pastor gets paid to do. He gets paid to learn and to grow and to pursue God so I don't have to. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. You know, the only thing funnier than this video is to watch all the, the, the comments that pastors have put attached to the video, which is, which is great. So anyways, uh, obviously we're just having a little fun, but I uh, want to talk tonight a little bit about what, what's our responsibility when it comes to the word being taught in a worship service. And we are going to look at um, the parable of the sower. Uh, we've had it read for us tonight already, and we're going to talk about this story that Jesus uses to help us understand what, what our part is. What is our role when the Word of God is taught? So when Jesus gives the parable of the sower, he starts this way. He starts by saying, a farmer went out to sow seeds. So it's a springtime, and a farmer's going to go out, and he's got a big sack of seed, and he's going he's to plant a crop. Maybe some of you have done something like that recently. You've gone out in the yard and tilled up the soil, and we did that at our house, and we kind of got the seeds planted, and now they're coming up with all of the weeds, but that's something different. And uh, in verse 5, he starts telling the parable, and then in verse 11, Jesus translates the parable for us. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. Now, the seed is the word of God. So first of all, we're just going to lay out uh, some, of the, some of the pieces of this parable. There's the seed, and there's the sower, and there's the soil. So one of the first things we notice when we look at this parable is that um, in each one of these four situations that Jesus is going to give us, it's the same seed that is that is tossed out there and that seed is God's word but it's the same seed in each situation and it's the same person sowing it it's it's somebody who comes along and proclaims the word of God or someone who preaches the word of God but notice there's going to be four different kinds of soil and they're going to res- represent four different responses to the word of God being preached now It's important because some people will say today, and I I read this in books and I hear this at seminars and stuff, but some people say that the church should give up on preaching because preaching doesn't really work for today because maybe preaching was okay 50 years ago or 100 or 1,000 years ago, but people today are different. People today want media and we have shorter attention spans and we want to be more interactive, but the reality is that that preaching has never been statistically very effective, ever. Nor, for that matter, has any other form of communication that I can find ever been that statistically effective. In fact, in this story, um, which Jesus told 2,000 years ago, only about 25% of the people in this story experience any kind of lasting benefit or fruit. Now, that can be a little discouraging if you're one who teaches to think about the prospect. And I don't, I don't think that we should push that too far. I don't think Jesus is saying that exactly 25% of any crowd are going to actually respond to the word of God. But I think he mentions this ratio for a reason. He's just trying to warn us that it may not be as effective as we would hope. But the problem here uh, isn't the method of communication. The problem in the story is the way that people listen or more accurately, the way that people don't listen to the Word of God. This parable uh, is all about hearing, and yet really not hearing the Word that's preached. Now, in verse 5, we're going to pick up the parable here, and Jesus says, now, as this, this farmer was scattering seed, some of the seed that he kind of, we would call it just broadcasting as he throws it out, Um, which may not seem like the most effective way of sowing seed today. Like, you know, we just poke a little hole in the ground and put a seed in there. But back then they might just toss it out, broadcast it. And he said, some fell along a path and it was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. 
In verse 12, he tells us what that represents. Those along the path are the ones who hear. He's talking about the word of God. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So if you've ever planted seed in a garden, you know what happens when, you, when some seed ends up maybe on a path in the garden and it's, it's hard. What ends up happening is it just sits there and it gets walked upon and maybe the birds come down and they eat it or maybe in a, like at our house, they even eat the seed sometimes that goes into the ground. But, and so he says that's one kind of hearing. That represents an unprepared heart. Uh, they come, they hear the word of God, but their heart is, uh, heart is hard and the word gets taken away immediately. And then he gives us a second kind of, of soil. Now, other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then he gives us the, the interpretation here. Now, those on the rocky soil are people who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no, no root, no depth in their life. And they, they believe what they hear for a little while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So here's a second way of hearing the word of God when it's, when it's proclaimed. These are people who, they loved hearing it. Uh, when they heard the sermon, when they heard the word taught, they found it interesting and they were curious and they might have even taken a few notes and, and uh, put a, a comment on Facebook about how interesting it was. But it says there's no depth of, of soul here. And as soon as hard times come along and, and as soon as hard questions come along, it says they don't really trust the word that they heard. And so it's, it's taken away from them. Now, there's a third kind of soil. Other seed fell among the thorns or, or, or the weeds and the thorns grew up and with it, with it and they, they choked it out. And then he gives us the interpretation. Now, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and, and they do not mature. So here's a third way of hearing the word of God. People who come and they hear the word taught, but then they leave and life gets busy and there's problems to, to fix and there's, there's stress and there's finals to take and there's, there's money to make and jobs to get and there's stuff to buy. And then once you buy stuff, you have to take care of that stuff and, and pay for it. And the result is that the word of God that they hear on the weekend gets neglected. So they, they hear it, they take some notes, they loved hearing about it, but when they leave, they don't think about it. Um, they, don't, they don't meditate on it. Uh, they, don't, they don't pray about it. They don't look for ways to apply it to their life. There's no discipline there. And, it, and the result is that it never matures and it never produces fruit in their life like they would hope. Uh, hearing the word of God doesn't produce the love um, relationally that they had hoped for or in their relationship with God. It doesn't, it doesn't produce the kind of peace that we read about in the Bible and the kind of patience and joy and wisdom, when you read in the Bible, you read that those things come as a result of getting into the Word. But these are people, because they don't hold on to the Word, they don't, they don't uh, experience that kind of growth in their life. And then there's a fourth kind of soil. Still, other seed fell on, notice, on, on the good soil. And it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than, than was sown. And here's the interpretation. But, but the seed... Uh, in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word and notice this, in an honest and a good heart. And, and they hold it fast and they bear fruit with perseverance. So a couple things about this soil that make it different from other soil. It's, it's got an honest heart and a good heart and it holds on to that word and the result is that it bears fruit in its life. 
And, and then Jesus makes the point of this whole story very clear in verse 8. Notice what he says. He who has, has what? Ears. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what he's saying is that it's, it's not enough to have ears on the side of your head. All right, everybody has ears on the side of their head. Some of us have bigger ears on the side of our head than others, but we all have those. But he's saying there's, a, there's another kind of ear. There's a, we could call it a spiritual ear. And when it hears the word of God, it hears more than just words and grammar and vocabulary. When it hears the word preached, it, it comprehends a beauty to the word and it attaches a value to the word. And when it hears the truth of the word, something resonates and it recognizes power. And that word for the good heart is, the word is compelling and the word becomes transforming. So Jesus says there are really two kinds of hearing. There's a hearing with the physical ear of the head and there's one with the spiritual ear of the heart. And what Jesus is saying is obviously we need the first one, but that's not enough for us. We also need to hear with the second ear, with the ear of the heart. Now notice what he says in verse 10, and this is interesting. He, he says, now the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. And the disciples ask after he tells the parable, they ask, what does it mean? So Jesus explains it to them, but he says, now the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but notice to others I speak in parables so that through seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. Now he's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 6 and it's really, he's kind of throwing out a very serious warning for those that he was talking to back then and he's warning us as well today. He's saying now, The preaching of the word of God, and we could say it this way, the preaching of the word and the going out of the word always produces something, always. It's just a question of what it produces. Sometimes when the word of God goes out and and, and people hear the word, sometimes it saves, um, sometimes it enlightens for those of us who have a relationship with God. It enlightens us when we learn things and sometimes it changes us, but Also, the preaching of the word can do something different. It can create almost an opposite effect. He says that the heart actually, when it hears the word of God, may become harder. It may become calloused to the word of God. It, It has ears that over time may be less able to comprehend what's being said. So Jesus is warning us, take care how you listen. Notice in verse 18. So take care how you listen. So be careful, some translations say, how you listen to the word of God. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Now, I've, I've heard this particular verse used out of context so many times that it's easy to forget what Jesus is talking about here. Notice what he's saying. He's not saying, take care how you preach or teach the word, which certainly we should do. We looked at a passage in uh, Timothy last week in which Paul warns Timothy, you need to be very careful how you teach the word of God. And we're told that teachers will be accountable for what they teach. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't say, take care how you preach. He says, take care how you hear. Be careful how you listen. 
Preaching is one thing, but, but hearing is another thing, and it's just as crucial. If not, I would argue, even more crucial. So, so don't be casual in hearing the Word of God week after week. And I know that it's, it's easy after a while, after you've heard many, many sermons, to become casual about how you listen to the Word of God. But that's the very thing Jesus would warn you about today. I believe he would sit down next to each one of us and say, you need to be very careful about how you listen to the Word of God. In fact, he gives us two reasons why we should be vigilant in how we listen to the Word taught. He gives us a positive and and a negative. The positive this. Notice he says, whoever has to him more shall be given. So in other words, what he says is, if you have spiritual ears, if you hear not only with the physical ears, but if you listen to the Word with spiritual ears, then you will be given understanding and you will receive power, and God will, will change your heart, and then you'll receive even more of that. You'll be like the fourth soil, and you will bear fruit. God will give you wisdom as you hear the word, and then he'll give you even more wisdom. He'll give you peace in your life, and then he'll give you even more peace, because he'll give you some, and then when you receive it, you'll receive even more, even more understanding, even more love, even more power. So he says, be very careful how you, how you hear. Hear with spiritual ears, not just physical ears. And, and hear, notice, with an honest and a good heart, not, I would say, a deceptive or an evil heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he talks about the positive, and then he talks about the negative. Notice what he says here. He says, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, the first three soils... That's exactly what happens. They think they have something, and and not only do they not have it, but what they think they have is taken away. So in the first soil, what do they think they have? Well, they think they have the word. In the first soil, that situation, they've come and they've listened to the word, and they think they have the word, but the devil snatches it away. So what they think they have is taken away. In the second soil, that's what happens. They, They hear the word, they received it with joy, Um, And they think they have it, but they have no spiritual depth. Trials come along, and what they think they have is taken away. So it's the same thing again. In the third soil, uh, they again, they hear the word, and they think they have the word. But then they, they go on their way, and the worries of the world kind of choke out the word, and the riches and the pleasures uh, of life come along. And again, what they think they have is taken away. In each one of the situations, what is it that they think they have? It's the word of God. And in each situation, that is what's taken away. And there's no fruit. There's no benefit that comes of it in their life. In fact, it's interesting. And again, I don't want to press these these numbers too much. But in this story, 75% of the people who hear the word of God lose what they think they have. And again, that should be a warning to us. Because I think it's so easy for us to think, well, that's not me. I'm not in the 75%. And we become very casual and very careless about how we listen to the word of God. So the stakes are very high for us. Jesus says there is a hearing that that barely gets started and then the word is gone before you get out the door of the church. And there's there's a hearing of the word that lasts until it faces difficulties. There's a hearing that that flourishes until it's distracted. And then there is a hearing with blessing and with benefit. So what do we do with all this? How do we, how do we prepare to hear the word of God in a way that's, that's different, that's like the fourth soil? And I want to suggest a couple things, and 
uh, putting the series together and putting this particular message together, um, I actually came up with, as I uh, read commentaries and looked at books and stuff, I came up with about 25 different things that you could do. Um, we're not going to go through 25. I'm going to give you five, and I'm, I'm going to give them to you quickly as we wrap this up. And, and I would encourage you to take these and run with them a little bit. But let me just give you five things that you can do to make what happens in here be more like that last soil than the first three. And the first one is this. And this, you know, as we've gone through this series, we'll be like, seems like we've heard this before, which we have. We heard it the first week and the second week and the third week. And that is when it comes to worship and your relationship with God, it always, always, always starts with the heart. Now, of course, the problem is that apart from the regenerating work of God, your heart is an absolute mess. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Um, and it's not just you, it's, it's all of us. In Jeremiah 17, it tells us this, the heart is, notice this, the heart is what? It's deceitful uh, above all things. So that's pretty deceitful because we can all think of some pretty deceitful things. But the, the heart is even more deceitful than all those things. And it's desperately sick. And, and he says, who can even understand it? So he's saying, don't be a fool. Don't think that somehow you've got a handle on how desperately wicked the heart is. It, however bad you think it is, it's, it's worse than that. So all of this begins with God's work in the heart. Now, none of us can have a heart that really uh, can, can see and comprehend the, the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the love and the holiness of God. None of us can do that apart from the regenerating work of God in us. And Ezekiel, it tells us this, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. This is where it all begins. None of us are capable of, of knowing or worshiping God apart from God's regenerating work in us. But once God does that work in us, as, as I understand it, then we begin to go through a, a regenerating or an ongoing sanctification process. Those are just a couple words to mean that God begins to grow us. When we, when we get a relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't just suddenly arrive and we're perfect and we know it all. What it says is that we begin to go through a process whereby, whereby God begins to grow us. And God begins to replace the misconceptions that we have about him with the truth. And God begins to help us see our sinful thoughts and replace them with what is good and, and honorable. It helps us, he begins to help us understand the patterns and the habits in our life that are sinful and to be able to give them up to God and to replace them with that which is good and wise and, and spiritual and, and that which is like Jesus Christ in, in its character. And, and it's a process. So, so don't get discouraged when you have bad weeks and it feels like you've taken a step backward or maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, you know, I've had some, some better times spiritually and I'm, I, I've had some, you know, kind of some things this week that didn't go so well because it's a process. And, and when you stumble or when you're, when you're tempted to stumble, ask God to work in your life. Ask God to give you the honest and the good heart. An honest heart, I think, just means that God gives us a heart that admits what's true about itself. A heart that's willing to admit that it's, in, that it's not perfect. A heart that's willing to admit that it's, it's got sin and that it's got issues. And an honest heart is a heart that, as I understand it, doesn't cover up those things. A heart that doesn't try to pretend that it's better than it actually is. It's, it's a heart that doesn't live in denial. It's a heart that's willing to admit 
its issues and its sin. And it's willing to confess those things, not only to God, but to confess them to other people, as James says. That's what it means to have an honest heart. And then he says to have the good heart. I think that's a heart that's willing to get rid of that which is sinful and that which is untrue. And and then it's willing to embrace the word of God and, and to submit itself humbly to God. That word good literally means beautiful. A beautiful heart that's willing to get rid of that which is evil and impure and to embrace what is pure and what is good and what is right. And I think that if we come to God and come to his, uh, his word with a proud heart, if we come to a, a sermon or, a, or teaching or devotional with a, a heart that says, I already know it all and, you know, um, and there's nothing I can learn and I know more than the guy who's speaking or more than the guy who wrote the Bible study or the devotional. If we think that there, you know, there's nothing I can learn, then, then the result is we'll get exactly what we expect. We'll get nothing out of that. Instead, we need to ask God for an honest heart. We need to ask God for a good heart for a humble heart, for a receptive and soft heart. I would encourage you to be a person who prays for that daily, who prays for that before you come to church, before you hear a sermon, to be a person who prays for the pastor during the week, whoever's going to bring the sermon, knowing that he is an imperfect person, that he's got his issues too, and there's no way he could possibly, I don't care who he is, there's no way anyone could preach the word to you unless they come to God with, an, with a humble and a good heart as well. And to pray for yourself as you enter this building, and to pray for yourself as the service starts. And to pray for yourself even during the sermon. God, give me a good heart. Give me a humble heart. So that's one thing that we can do. It's probably the best place for us to start. Ask God for a humble heart. Here's the second thing that you can do. And that is to, to I, I put it this way, to appetize your mind. So are any of you like me, you like appetizers? Anybody? Right? So I like appetizers. Like, and app, actually... Uh, my family and I, we are actually, we have abused appetizers. So I remember like one time we went to Red Robin, maybe you've done this, and we were looking at the appetizers on the menu, and we were like, hey, you ever been to Red Robin and had the onion rings, oh, which are so good? So we're like looking at the appetizer menu one time, and that's, so we ended up ordering onion rings and chicken wings, onion rings, chicken wings, um, the nachos, um, what else did we get? I, the fries, the, um, we got the whole thing. And so we just got an entire meal of appetizers, which actually that's not, a, appetizers are technically supposed to kind of get you ready for the meal. We kind of abused it and it was our meal, but it was really, really good. But let's, so let's not talk, let's just say this. We want to appetize. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the word appetize, it's because it's not a word. It's not in the dictionary and spell checker doesn't like it, but we're just going to make up the word. We're going to say to appetize is to awaken the appetite. Let's just say that, okay? So if if the sermon is the meal, if the teaching time is the meal, then what I would encourage you to do is learn to appetize your, your mind during the week, right? There's a way in which you can cultivate a spiritual appetite so that you can benefit the most from a sermon or, or teaching time, which I, I can't think of any better way to appetize your heart than to read the word during the week and to get into the word. One of the things that we're 
doing on Facebook, and I'm, I think I'm getting better at it, is we're on Facebook posting at Gateway's page um, the, the passage each week that we're teaching on. So you can go there in advance. You can read the passage. You can pray about it. It's a great way to kind of appetize your mind. You can review sermons. You can me- I, Memorizing Scripture is a great, great way to appetize your mind. Because once you get Scripture in your mind, it just has a way of popping up at, at the most interesting times when you need it. It's just a great tool that you can give God. Um, doing daily devotionals, discussing the Word with other people, uh, meditating on the Word uh, is a great way to kind of appetize your mind. So appetize your mind is the second thing that you can do. Uh, don't just like let your week be like a, a, a wilderness spiritually, and then you come to church on the weekend and think that one sermon is going to somehow do it all for you because it never works that way. Appetize your mind. Start with your heart. Here's the, here's the third thing. Be a person who regularly takes out the garbage. Really, really trying to get down to that in even our household, you know, how like the garbage just gets full and then once it's overflowing and I'm kind of like the three-quarter full, let's take it out kind of thing. And James, here's what he's saying here. He says, therefore, speaking of your, your spiritual garbage can, if you will, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Notice this. Get rid of all of it and the evil that is so prevalent and and humbly accept the word. Notice the connection. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I'm I'm going to try not to go too far off on this point, but it, it made me think this week about how many of us can go through the week and fill our mind with garbage and trash and somehow think that, that coming to a sermon, coming to a worship service is going to fix all that. Now, I know that I'm going to sound like a 51-year-old curmudgeon who's like, can't get off a point, but it's really astounding to me at times the things that we put into our heads and to our hearts as believers. It almost defies all logic. Now, I'll put it this way. As, as a pastor over the years, um, there have been times when I'll have men in the church come to me. And they'll say to me, um, they will confess that they have become addicted, that they, uh, they become addicted to pornography. And this is not something that should probably be shocking to you because we know it's a huge issue in our society today and not just men, but women as well. But sometimes I'll have men come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I really need some help. I really need some prayer. I need some guidance because I'm, I, I keep looking at pornography and I'm not sure, but I think it's messing me up. And so, you know, and that, now any of us, okay, I think we would probably all be willing to admit, okay, that is a stupid thing to do. I think most of us would be able to say, um, no, it's safe to say that pornography messes you up. I doubt that any of us would go, oh, I'm, you know, it's, it's probably just harmless and it's no. No, every study says it messes you up. It messes up. It messes with your mind. It messes with your emotions. It messes with your affection. It messes with your marriage. It messes with your relationship with other people, uh, with the opposite sex. It messes with all, I mean, it just messes you up. Up. And the only way you could think it doesn't mess you up is if you're living in complete and ridiculous denial. And I think that most of us would be willing to say, okay, it's a given. Pornography messes you up. Here's the thing that I don't get. What I don't get is 
how somehow we draw this hard line between pornography and all the other filth in our society that we think is somehow okay. Like it's okay to watch TV shows that um, completely um, ridicule the gospel of God or who use the Lord's name in vain or who make light of, of, uh, of, of sex outside of marriage or of, of homosexuality or who make light of, of, of filthy language or sinful topics or violence or who make fun of sin or who justify sin or who mock the gospel and how as Christians sometimes we just eat that garbage up and we think somehow we're kind of cool because we like those TV shows or we watch those movies or we listen to that music. And I just, I guess I'm getting old, but I don't understand what's so cool about that. It just seems stupid. It just seems ridiculous. And God is saying that, that, that when we expose ourselves to this kind of stuff, and then we come to church or we open our Bible and we don't understand why our, our worship experience is so shallow or our love for God is so, so weak, so lukewarm. And, and, and right here, James is warning us, you've got to get rid of the moral filth if you think somehow that you can expose yourself to this stuff and it won't mess you up, then you're just, there's no other word for it. You're a fool and you're playing into the devil's hand. And you, you need to repent of that. Just pure and simple. There are things that you can watch and that you can read that will make your heart receptive to God. And will lead you into a deeper place. And will take you to a better place of worship. And then there are things will, that will just mess you up. And they will fill you with guilt. And they will spoil your thoughts. And they will fill you with lust. And you'll come to church on the weekend. And you'll, you'll worship God. Because you're just trying to, somehow you're trying to get rid of that guilt. And that's a whole different way than worshiping God. Because you've experienced him in a deep and meaningful way during the week. So, Avoid the garbage and confess it and get accountable and I'll just move on. Um, here's the fourth thing. Prep your body. Okay, so this is, this is not rocket science. And actually, I, I actually had kind of two sections here. One for the Saturday night crowd and one for the Sunday crowd. All right. But I, now, I know some of you work shift work. And it's everything you can do just to get here on time for church. And God bless you. It's really good to have you here. But most of us get to make choices about our, our day, about our Saturday, and um, when we go to bed on Friday night, and when we get up on Saturday, and, and, and what we do. And so here's just some simple advice, okay? Um, you are always going to be more receptive to learning when, you have, when you've had good rest and when you've eaten well during that day. All right, that just kind of makes sense. So on Saturday, and quite frankly, I think this is the best, but this, maybe this is just me. I'm like, I think I would learn way more on Saturday night than Sunday morning because I'm not a morning person. Um, and if you've never come at 9.15, all right, you're not missing anything from me because I'm not a 9.15 person. I, but I'll just say this. On, but for Saturday, let me just say this. I Give some thought to when you go to bed on Friday night. Now, because tonight, Saturday night, and mostly you don't have to get up early, so you can leave from here and, and go to Los Dos and party all night. You know, God bless you. But like, when you go to bed, think about on Saturday, I just think backwards. What time do you need to be here? 
Okay, and church starts at 6, not 6.15. So what time do you need to be here? And then, and then just kind of think backwards. So um, are you going to eat before you come? And what time would that be? And, you know, do you need to take a shower? And maybe you need a nap if you're like me. And, and then when are you going to mow the lawn? And just work your way backward. It just, it's not rocket science, but lay out your day so that when you get here in the evening, you're not on your last leg, you know, just barely getting by, but you're like in your prime. You're, you're ready to go. You're ready to pay attention and, and to listen to what happens here. So I'm just going to move on. The Sunday crowd gets a way different sermon. Um, but anyways, here's the last one. Pursue with passion. Okay, so, so notice what David says about God's word. In Psalm 19, he says this, and I would encourage you reading the entire 19th Psalm because it is so great when it comes to, uh, to how David sees the word of God. But he, speaking about God's laws and precepts and statutes, he says this about God's word. He says, they are more precious to me than gold, than, than much pure gold. So that's, that's pretty valuable. And they are, they are sweeter, he says, than honey, than, than honey from the comb. So I would ask you this question. What does your heart value the most? What do you think of the most? What do you love the most? What do you, what do you fantasize about? You know, is it, is, it, is it another person? Is that what kind of gets your heart going? Is it, is it uh, maybe you're ready to graduate and you just can't wait for that? Or maybe it's when you become, you know, independent or maybe it's making money or uh, a certain possession or whatever it is. And it's not necessarily bad things. But King David would just say, you know what? When it comes to living life and getting stuff and money and all that, King David would just say, I've been there and I've done that and I found there's something better than all that stuff. And it's the words of God. Something better that won't wear out, that won't go out of style, that you won't have to replace, you know, in the fall, that won't rust out, that won't lose its value. It's God's word. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's sweet to him. It's valuable. It's wonderful for the mind. It's amazing. It beautifies the heart and the soul. The word of God brings joy to a person's life. It, it changes relationships. It changes, it transforms marriages and, and, and families. And it can do things for your vocation that nothing else can do and for your finances. So value the word of God with a passion. When you, when you come on the weekends, bring your Bible and, and open it up. The notes that we give you are not meant to be a substitute. The stuff on the screen, you know, you can't write notes on the screen. And the handouts, you know, I, some of you got your iPads and your things. And that's okay too. That's cool. But, but bring, bring a Bible and, and look at it. And study it and take notes and listen carefully to what's being said on the weekends. And think hard about this stuff. Um, and stay focused and, and use the notes and, and look for God. When we, when we discuss the word of God and desire to hear from God. And he says, if you do, notice that you will be given even more of what you desire and what you hope for. And come on the weekends on the lookout for God. Expect that you will meet God here. Expect that you will meet him in the sermon and that you will hear from him. And here's what I found. If I come to sermon and, and I don't get to go to church a lot and listen to people preach, but I do listen to a lot of sermons during the week. And I can tell you this, when I listen to someone preach, if I expect to hear God, I have always heard God every single time. 
I've never heard a sermon in which I expected to hear God and didn't hear God. It may not have always been um, the way the pastor wanted me to hear him, but I've always heard God. It hasn't always been the best sermons, but I tell you, even, even some of the most bungled sermons that I've ever heard, I can still hear God's voice and learn from the Spirit every single time. And the same is true for you. Expect to hear from God, and you will. You will hear from God. This, uh, this last summer, I got a chance for the second time to go to uh, Nicaragua with the team. And um, when I was there, I spent an afternoon, um, well, an afternoon, actually most of a day, with uh, some of the church leaders in the area. And we were just on the work site where we were. I've seen this picture before, but these were, there were just some people um, in the area who, uh, some of them are pastors, some of them are church leaders. And uh, so they asked if I would spend a better part of a day just whatever I wanted to teach on and, and equip them as pastors and to teach their churches. And so I came prepared to kind of walk them through First John and to give them some tools and um, some theological perspective and, and some things they might teach their congregations. And um, when, you, when you go to Nicaragua and they ask you to speak to them, what they really mean is just to kind of start talking and just they can listen a lot longer typically than um, most of us could ever talk. So I went with hours and hours and hours because I can talk a long time. And I went with hours and hours of material but uh, the thing about teaching them is everything takes twice as long because you say it and then an interpreter has to say it. And so anyways, I went and I had some outlines and a lot of material for the pastors. And I was walking them through First John. And um, you may have been here uh, when we went through First John together. I was relaying a lot of the information to them. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was on this day when we were walking through First John... Um, I was telling them a little bit about the history of and the context, the background of the book of First John, and uh, talking about John himself, the disciple, the apostle. And so we're kind of I'm I'm walking them through and I'm telling them about the life of John. Remember, John was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the twelve. And um, Jesus, when Jesus called John to be a disciple, we think he was probably the youngest, maybe the youngest by far. We think Peter was probably the oldest. Um, a lot believe that John was probably in his, his early 20s. And so if he was in his early 20s, um, then that means that by the time First John was written um, and by the time he's been exiled, uh, it could have been 50, 60 years after the ascension of Christ. It's been a long time. John is the only disciple who's still alive. All the other disciples have been martyred. Um, they tried to martyr John. I won't go into the details, but they tried to kill him and it didn't take. And so the, in the Roman Empire, you can only attempt to kill somebody by capital punishment once. It's just a rule they had. It didn't take, and so they didn't know what to do with him. They wanted to shut him up and get him out of the church and because he was a huge force uh, in growing the church. So they exiled him. They, they put him on an island where there was no church and where there were no Christians. And here's John, who's, who's probably in his mid-80s, maybe some think his early 90s. And he is like the father or the grandfather of the church. Um, he is the only disciple still alive. So churches would get together and John would come and teach. And John was a guy who actually knew Jesus. And people would come and sit and listen to him teach. Now, they 
wanted to kind of marginalize John, so they put him on an island, and he's all by himself. And now, here's John. He's an elderly person. He's, he's, he's given his whole life for Christ and building a church. He loves all of the Christians, and now he's been separated from his children. And he's all alone on this island, and he's exiled. He's been separated from his church. Imagine if you were separated from everybody that you loved and from every Christian that has ever been meaningful to you. And now you're all on your own. And there's John and he's on this island and he's all alone and he's waiting. He's probably just waiting to die so he can be with the Lord. And one day in the book of Revelation, it says that he hears a voice one day while he's in the spirit, while he's worshiping God. He hears a voice and he turns around and he sees his Lord and Savior. And he realizes that they may have separated John on from the church, but they could not separate him from his, his savior, from his king. Anyways, I'm, I'm telling the story, and as I'm telling the story to these Nicaraguan leaders, I look around, and there's these, these guys, and these tough guys, and all this, and I look, and, and they've got tears coming down, and, you know, and there's a couple of guys that they got their hands in the air, and they're, they're kind of worshiping, and a few are saying hallelujah, and amen, and some of them are saying things, I don't know what they're saying, because they don't speak Spanish, and I realized in that moment, okay, I came as a teacher, Right, but, but if you come to the word of God and you come as a worshiper, no one can stop you from worshiping. Even if the guy teaching was just planning on giving you information. And it, and it really struck me that day that these, they, these people have the heart. They have the hearts of worshipers. And when they hear the word of God, they worship God. Because they see the beauty of God whenever they hear the word of God. And it struck me how sometimes we are not like that. Sometimes we can come to the word of God, we can hear something taught and we can think, I don't really like that story or he didn't make me laugh or the pastor didn't make me cry every four and a half minutes or I didn't like the outline or I didn't like this point and we come up with all these excuses. But it reminded me that day, if we come to the word of God with the heart of a worshiper, nothing can stop us from worshiping God and seeing his beauty and and marveling in that and glorifying him back. Nothing can stop us from that. This passage that Jesus gives us, it's all about hearing the word of God. And the great thing is, you get to choose. You get to choose whether you'll just hear with the physical ears or whether you will hear with the spiritual ears of your heart. Thank God that he has given every one of us the ability through the spirit to always be that second person and to always be the good soil. Amen? Let's pray together.